ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Hi, I'm Sam Hawley, coming to you from Gadigal Land. This is ABC News Daily. Egypt sits along the south of the Gaza Strip, but since the Israel-Hamas war began, it's kept its borders shut to Palestinians, though allowing some aid to flow through. It means civilians can't leave the territory as Israeli ground troops move in. Today, we speak to an aid worker in the region and a former Palestinian peace negotiator on the human cost of the war. Hi, I am Abira Atifa. I'm the senior spokesperson for the UN World Food Programme and I'm currently in Cairo. Abir, can you tell me what are you hearing about what's happening on the ground in Gaza at the moment now the ground invasion has begun? Well, three weeks into this brutal conflict, the situation for more than two million people trapped in the Gaza Strip is catastrophic. And especially right now with military operations happening across different parts of Gaza. People are becoming increasingly desperate as they search for food, water and shelter. People are really in a state of panic. Shops are running out of food. Uh, bakeries, most bakers have stopped working. The World Food Programme was working before this conflict with 23 bakeries. Today, we only have one bakery left operating. So uh, our bread production, the distribution of fresh bread to people has been reduced from around 200,000 people every day to only less than 20,000. From 200,000 to 20,000. Yes. Wow. So it it is absolutely important to continue the opening of the Rafah border crossing point to allow, you know, more aid coming in. If we are to make a difference, we have to get humanitarian supplies and relief into Gaza safely, reliably and at the scale required. Of course, because you're in Egypt, which is the only place where aid can get through at the moment at that Rafa border, as you mentioned. How much is getting in compared to how much is actually needed? Can you quantify that? So uh, right now we've had convoys going in on daily basis for the last you know, nine, 10 days, a convoy of 33 trucks. And for the World Food Programme, we've only had, so far, we've only had 12 trucks as part of these convoys over the last nine days. Uh, If we are to make a difference in terms of meeting the food needs of people, we need at least 40 trucks a day. Because for every person that uh, has received WFP food assistance, at least six more are in need. As an aid worker, Abir, how does that make you feel that you can't get aid in or not enough? Well, it is frustrating, it's it's depressing and demotivating because you're spending all your energy and efforts doing our best to get these food supplies and to make sure that things are, are on the ground and ready. But we also know, you know, the huge pressure that our colleagues uh, are facing in Gaza. So it's a very, very bleak picture. 
Yeah, so what's your message to the world then about what's going on in, in Gaza? We need a humanitarian ceasefire. We need, you know, a moment for everyone to catch their breath so that we can get in these supplies as fast as we can to the people. And for everyone who can help and donate, that would be very welcome because this is the time that we can uh, stand together and, you know, help humanity. And if there is no humanitarian ceasefire, what happens? It will be very difficult. If we don't have a humanitarian ceasefire, we cannot we, because we cannot move uh, and get to everyone who needs this assistance without the safety for everyone involved. I mean, we have two million people inside Gaza. Every life counts. We can save as many as we can if we get these supplies uh, in a timely manner. My name is Gaithel Omari. I'm a senior fellow at the uh, Washington Institute for Near East Policy. That's a Washington-based think tank. Previously, I served as an advisor to the Palestinian negotiating team between the years uh, 1999-2006. Gaith, now the ground offensive is underway, I want to talk to you about what that looks like for the civilian population. This is, of course, a new phase of the war that the Israeli leader, Benjamin Netanyahu, says will be long and difficult, and he's rejected calls for a ceasefire, hasn't he? He has rejected calls for a ceasefire, and there are policy uh, reasons for this. Calls for a ceasefire are calls for Israel to surrender to Hamas, to surrender to terrorism, to surrender to barbarism. That will not happen. It is time the ground offensive will inevitably be bloody for the Palestinian population, for the civilian population. That's, that's the nature of ground war, in particular if you look at Gaza. Gaza is a very densely populated uh, area, you know, narrow alleyways, high buildings, and any operating within that uh, terrain would ultimately impact civilians very, very gravely. While I am actually a believer that Israel has a right to defend itself, that doesn't, though, absolve it of the duty to try to minimize uh, civilian casualties. And one has to balance between these two objectives. Fourteen hundred Israelis were killed in the Hamas attack. The death toll in Gaza, according to the Gazan Health Ministry, which of course is run by Hamas, is now over 8,000 with more than 3,000 children. Now, the US President Joe Biden says that can't be taken at face value. You've previously asked Netanyahu to minimize civilian casualties. Do these numbers say to you that he is ignoring that message? What they say to me is I have no notion that the Palestinians are telling the truth about how many people are killed. I'm sure innocents have been killed, and it's the price of waging a war. But it is clear a humanitarian crisis is unfolding, isn't it? Absolutely. If it's not 8,000, then it's 5,000. It's still a huge tragedy. At the end of the day, it is not only, you know, the number of the dead. Uh, if you look at the conditions of those who are alive, I mean, I'm hearing reports that hospitals have to do surgeries without anesthesia, that, yeah. you know, the most basic of painkillers are not available to burn victims. This is the kind of ugly nature of any war. I just want to discuss with you now 
Why civilians can't leave Gaza? Why can't they seek refuge outside a place where their lives are clearly at threat? The UN says it's sheltering more than 600,000 people forced from their homes. So explain to me why they can't get out. And basically, if you're in Gaza, you have one of two uh, options if you want to leave Gaza. Either Israel, and obviously Israel is not going to allow Gazans into its territory. The other option is Egypt. For Egypt, there is great concern of Gaza refugees going into Egypt for really three reasons. One is a security reason. And actually, the Egyptian president said it explicitly. He said, those refugees come into Egypt. They start using Egypt as a base to attack Israel. Israel retaliates. And then Egypt is drawn into uh, a war with Israel. Remember, Egypt is the Arab country with the longest peace treaty with, uh, with Israel since 1979. So that's a security concern. So what you mean by that is Hamas members would be among the civilians fleeing into Egypt. That's the concern. That's absolutely the concern. Hamas members, Islamic Jihad members, there are ISIS affiliates uh, there. That's the concern. And the Egyptians are particularly concerned of being blamed as being part of, you know, the emptying of Palestinian land. And so this is kind of the second one. And the third one is actually more practical. Egypt is facing some very serious economic problem of its own. And as Egypt looks at refugee situations throughout the region, it sees that refugees who uh, move to a certain country tend to stay there for decades. The example they always bring up is the uh, Syrian refugees in Jordan who've been there for more than a decade with no end in sight. And Egypt cannot simply cannot afford to host a million or two Palestinian refugees. So the Egyptians are simply not willing to put themselves in that position. Right, okay. So that all means that the citizens of Gaza are stuck. How does this play out from here? I see some Palestinians quoted as saying it's not a matter of where they can go that is safe, but where do they want to be when they die. It's a horrible way of thinking. It's a horrible way of thinking and it's a way that reflects the despair. So where do we go from here? I think the first priority is to ensure that humanitarian aid comes in. We're already seeing seeing some humanitarian aid coming in, but it's insufficient. I've been waiting in line since this morning to get some petrol as well as water. The situation is very difficult. It is a disaster. We are cooking with wood. We have regressed to the stone And ensuring that humanitarian aid comes in is not only essential on moral ground, it's also essential in diplomatic terms in order to allow the world to continue to support Israel's military campaign. Hamas can end this today if it decides to surrender. And uh, I think pressure should be put on Hamas uh, to do exactly that. Hamas has regional backers, not only Iran, but some countries which are, you know, close to the U.S., like uh, Turkey, like Qatar. And it is the role of the international community to push those countries, to push Hamas to basically lay down its arms. I repeat, this does not absolve Israel from taking extreme care to uh, uh, protect civilians as much as possible. But ending the hostilities at the end of the day requires Hamas to basically be disarmed and to be removed as a governing body. There's another kind of tangent here as well, that as we are talking here in the West, the United States and Australia, public opinion in the Arab world is Mm. really angry. Mm. 
at the images coming from Gaza. This is creating instability in places like Jordan and Egypt. This is creating challenges for countries like the United Arab Emirates, like Bahrain, which have uh, peace with uh, with Israel. So mm-hmm. as the time goes on, expect to see much more the diplomatic and political pressure uh, to end this war. And you've been a peace negotiator, of course, in the region before. Is there any prospect of peace in the short term now? In the short term, absolutely not. I've been dealing with this for more than a quarter of a century. I have never seen Israeli or Palestinian public opinion so polarized. So I think after the war, we have to start a bit more modest. I think we have to start with creating some hope for the Gaza people, a hope that will be done through reconstruction, through trying to improve the economy, to show them that, you know, abandoning a terrorist organization like Hamas will come with benefits. We have to rehabilitate the idea of cooperation between Palestinians and Israelis, and then we can talk about uh, peace. But in the short term, I fear that the anger, the pain and the grief is simply too deep to to talk about peace negotiation at this moment. Gaith Alamari is a senior fellow at the Washington Institute. He served as an advisor to the Palestinian negotiating team from 1999 to 2006. Abir Atifa is with the World Food Programme based in Cairo. If you want to know about what to believe in the Israel-Gaza war, we covered that on Monday, and that's in your feed. This episode was produced by Bridget Fitzgerald, Nell Whitehead, Lara Corrigan, Anna John, and Sam Dunn, who also did the mix. Our supervising producer is David Cody. I'm Sam Hawley. ABC News Daily will be back again tomorrow. Thanks for listening.